Hey, podcast fans, this is Chris Webster, founder of the APN, and I just want to thank you for downloading this episode. Please consider becoming a member of the APN if you're not already and helping us make more great shows and get them out to the world. Head over to arcpodnet.com slash members or click the link in the show notes. On to the show. You're listening to the Archaeology Podcast Network. The Dirt Podcast is brought to you with support from the Archaeology Division of the American Anthropological Association. And welcome to The Dirt, a podcast about archaeology, anthropology, and our shared human past. I'm Anna. And I'm Amber. And before we get started, I want to send a quick shout out and thank you to our newest Patreon supporter, Elizabeth. And you, like Elizabeth, can help support The Dirt at any number of attractively priced tiers by going to patreon.com slash the dirt podcast. Um, everything that we get from Patreon supporters goes right back into the show and we use it to bring you that sweet, sweet content. That sweet, sweet content is full of spook because after last week's episode on the anthropology of Bigfoot, Spooktober is well underway. Yeah. And after last week's episode that might only have been scary for high school age me and whoever does PR for Neanderthals, um, I thought <laughs> I thought I'd uh, turn up the scary to uh, 11 for this week and and serve up this creepy pasta, this frightening fettuccine family style. So Anna, this is an exercise for you. When you okay. think of classic Halloween, what do you think of? I think about jack-o'-lanterns, which were originally okay. turnips. I think about things that go bump in the night. Ghoulies, ghosties, beasties, dressing up for Halloween. Uh, problematic costume choices. Yeah, that's about it. Okay. Well. Candy. I think of candy. Okay. Well, apart from that last one, um, hold on to your butts, everyone, because this story contains all of those, ex- except the candy. Um, okay. I'm holding my butt. Yeah, <laughs> And just like last year's episode about Clad Holland, we find ourselves on a mysterious, misty island at the edge of the world. Listen to our episode about Clad Holland. Yeah, listen it's to It's my that finest first. work to date. Uh, maybe don't listen to then, it first. <laughs> maybe listen to it after this and then oh, judge for okay, yourselves well. if I did okay this year. So our story begins in the 19th century CE on the island of Chiloé, part of the Chiloé Archipelago. Archipelago. Man. <laughs> Great start. Archipelago. I used to think it was archipelago. Because like I had lumbago never... rhymes with lumbago. No, because I had never heard I had never seen no, it. No, it's one of those like... words. Yeah. <laughs> Tell me about Chiloe. Okay. Our story begins in the 19th century CE on the island of Chiloe, part of the Chiloe archipelago off the Pacific coast of Chile. So you may think that Chile and Chiloé are related there, but it's not. Um, so its name is derived from the Mapuche word meaning place of the sea- seagulls. So um, Chile is seagulls and we Loe. seems, well, oh, no, okay. like is, we is like a place signifier. So it's like seagull place. Oh. 
Um, the Chiloé archipelago has been populated for possibly as long as 14,000 years. So the site of Monte Verde, where um, we have evidence of Pleistocene occupation, is located there. It's okay. It's on that archipelago. Interesting. Um, yeah, right? Uh, in the I late- sort of want to drop like ambient ocean sounds and like... Seagull sounds. Yeah. Behind this. Ambient squawking. Um, (laughs) My household constantly. Um, In the late 1800s, though, the indigenous population was Chono and Huiche, which are both Mapuche groups. Uh, Mapuche itself means people of the land, which is a fitting descriptor for the groups indigenous to what is today Chile and parts of Argentina. The Spanish had arrived to Chiloé, and so, okay, we're on the island of Chiloé. Okay. We're not just in there, we're like, we're, we're zooming in. So, the pan, the Spanish had arrived to Chiloé in the late 16th century CE, um, and then in the fledgling nation of Chile's movement towards independence from Spain, Chiloé was incorporated into the Republic in 1826. And so, Chile was eventually recognized as an independent nation uh, by other nations by the middle of that century. So the year is 1880 and Chile is new, volatile, and full of white people. Out on the remote <laughs> islands of Chile, though, life works differently. Far from the stern hand of the Catholic diocese or European government, or European-style government, governance was said to come by way of La Recta Provincia, the righteous province, a shadowy cabal that meted out justice in ways the state could not. La Recta Provincia has been described as a secret society, not unlike the Sicilian mafia, that practiced brujeria, sorcery. Go on. Anna, we're talking about witches. <laughs> witches! Yeah, so, yeah. According to an article on Culture Trip, to become a part of La Recta Provincia, uh, male witches were expected to undergo a series of tests and tasks as part of the initiation into the cult. Some of these initiations included um, bathing every night in the freezing cold waters of the Triuan River. Um, some one article in Culture Rips Trip says fifteen nights. Another says forty nights. Forty nights feels like a biblical. Yeah, that feels like what they'd be saying. It is. Um, yeah, and the idea of like bathing in this this river on the island is to wash away the effects of the Christian baptism. So it's a so you're you're washing away the washing. Yeah, so it's like a full on huh. renunciation of Catholicism, um, okay. or even more vicious, um, one might have to kill a loved one to use their skin as the fabric to fashion a bag for their spell book. Oh, that's rough. Yeah. It's a little, little book, book jacket. So, in 1880, an ex-member of La Recta Provincia, Mateo Conwecar, came forward to identify the headquarters of the organization. It was a cave outside the community of Kikavi, which I like that it's a cave outside a place that looks like it's called Witch Cave. But I know that's not <laughs> what it is. But no, <laughs> yeah. um, So this cave was more than 40 meters deep and, uh, and, and lit. Oh, here we go. And it was lit by torches of human fat. Oh, Fight Club. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> so, um, so he had first encountered it 20 years before in 1860. Oh, wait, wait, wait. 
light yes. club. There we go. Okay. Yes. Nice. Nice. Nailed it. Um, <laughs> Um, according to Chilean historian Benjamin Vicuña McKenna, when Jose Mariman was king of La Provincia, um, he was, uh, now he being Mateo, was ordered to go to the cave with meat for some animals that lived inside. He complied with the order and took them the meat of a kid he had slaughtered. Um, uh, sorry, kid, baby goat? Well. Not human child. Okay. I mean, kid. Unclear which. All right. Um, yeah. Um, Mariman went with him. And when they reached the cave, he started dancing about like a sorcerer and quickly opened the entryway. This was covered over with a layer of earth and grass to keep it hidden. And under this, there was a piece of metal called the alchemy key. He used this to open the entryway and he was faced with two completely disfigured beings, which burst out of the gloom and rushed towards him. One looked like a goat for it dragged itself along on four legs. And the other was a naked man with a completely white beard and hair down to his waist. End quote. Yeah. So this is, so I first um, heard this story. So last year, Clad Holland came to me, like the topic, I learned about the topic first on an episode of Lore, um, mm-hmm. when, when Aaron Mankey was, Aaron Mankey, was talking yep. about this. And I was like, what? And then looked it up and was like, whoa. And so this is another episode of the sequel the sequel to whoa yeah so this is another episode of lore that i um listened to and was like what did a google was like oh my god this is amazing and so what i'm going to describe next might sound familiar to some folks who have listened to lore but keep listening folks the goat-like monster was the Shivato, which is a deformed mute covered in bristles, bristles like a hog. Okay. The other, and by far the more dangerous, of the cave's twin denizens was something called the Invunche or Imbunche. So British writer Bruce Chatwin describes his character in more detail. And just a heads up, folks, um, that sensitive listeners should go ahead and skip forward to the commercial break. So when you stop hearing me talk. Um, yep. Because it's it gets a little rough. But after the break, it's okay. It's okay again. I got you guys. It's not okay for me. Just I'll stay here. <laughs> <laughs> so this comes from uh, Bruce Chatwin's In Patagonia, quote, when the sect needs a new invince, the council of the cave orders a member to steal a boy child from six months to a year old. The deformer, a permanent resident of the cave, starts cool. work at once. He disjoints the arms and legs and the hands and mm. feet. Then mm. begins the delicate task of altering the position of the head. Day after day, and for hours at a stretch, he twists the head with a tourniquet until it has rotated through an angle of 180 degrees. That is, Ah. until the child can look straight down the line of its own vertebrae. Ah. There remains one last operation for which another specialist is needed. At full moon, the child is laid on a workbench, lashed down with its head covered in a bag. The specialist cuts a deep incision under the right shoulder blade. Into the hole, he inserts the right arm and sews up the wound with a thread taken from the neck of a you. A lady sheep, the, not yeah, you the second person. Not a person. me. No. 
When it has healed, the Envunche is complete. God, who, what sick person came up with this? Well, Ugh. so the image and the story of the Envunche is a powerful one and resonant even today, as you may have heard with Anna's reaction. Um, oh, in the Chilean novelist Jose Donoso's The Obscene Bird of Night, um, it's folded into a story of magical realism that explores identity, alienation, and existence in a very metamorphosis way. Like uh, like Kafka or like Ovid? Uh, Kafka. Okay. Yeah. So um, little, the little the, literature flex. The <laughs> right. Okay. The uh, <laughs> the protagonist beco- is becomes the Mbunche. It's um, it's magical realism. So Donoso was part of the Latin American literary boom, and so his retelling of the Mbunche myth story uh, enjoyed a larger audience than ever before. And so here's a quote um, from, uh, this is this is a passage from Donoso's book, The Mbunche, all sewed up, eyes, mouth, anus, sex or- organ, nostrils, ears, hands, legs. Once all his body's orifices were closed up and his arms and legs trapped in the straitjacket of not knowing how to use them, yes, the old women would graft themselves onto the child in place of his limbs and organs and faculties, ripping out his eyes and his voice and robbing him of his hands. Yeah. So that's a very powerful image there. And if you're looking at thinking about it more metaphorically, that's pretty powerful. But now... Oh, yeah. Now that we're all good and horrified, let's take a quick break. (laughs) Great. It's Chris Webster again. If you haven't checked out our new parent website, culturomedia.com, then please do. Culturo is spelled K-U-L-T-U-R-O, and it's where we promote all of our live events. We've got one coming up in November. Check it out over at Culturo when it gets posted. If it's already happened and you're hearing this, then as a member, you can go to your member pages and see the event recording. Our live events are always free, but you have to show up during the event to see it. So that's culturomedia.com for all our live events and more. Culturomedia.com. Chris Webster here, founder of the APN and host of several shows. I just wanted to let you know about our membership program and what it offers. Members of the APN get, for just $7.99 a month or cheaper if you pay for the year, ad-free episodes so you don't have to listen to me on the breaks, membership in our Slack team so you can continue the conversation with hosts and other members, and exclusive access to any of our live event recordings. Live events are always free, but you only get to watch the recording if you're a member. So head over to arcpodnet.com slash members for more info and to become a member. Our podcasts are always free, but this is just a little something extra and it really helps us out. That's arcpodnet.com slash members. This is Chris Webster with the APN. I'm also a project manager for several industries. I wouldn't be able to keep on track with really anything if it wasn't for Motion. With Motion, I just say what I need to do, how long I think it will take, what sort of priority I think it has, and Motion builds my day for me. It'll even build in breaks because, let's be honest, it's hard to remember to stop to eat lunch sometimes. So head over to arcpodnet.com slash motion for a free trial and a discount if you sign up. You'll kick back a small amount to the APN if you do. That's arcpodnet.com slash motion. So Anna, yep, still here. And and those if, who are either just like popping back in or who went through that with you and me, um, we just learned about the Chivato and the Mbunche and the cave they protected that was lit by torches of human fat. They were definitely 
lit by torches of human fat. Um, yep. Do you know how we came to learn about the Shivato and the Mbunche and all the rituals that the Brujos had to perform? Guess, 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 I, guess. I, I'm, I'm assuming somebody wrote them down. Yeah, somebody wrote them down, but... Oh, okay. Well, I don't know. What else did you want me to guess? I don't know. Did we, that I, they came to someone in a dream. I don't know, no. dude. You're no. supposed to be telling me this story. I know. But the description of the cave came from Mateo Conuecar's confession at the witch trials of 1880. Oh, okay. Was he tortured? Yeah. Oh, well, that's well, why then. Well, yeah, he was, well, I mean, he was, um, what is it, like heightened interrogation? Enhanced, enhanced, enhanced interrogation. interrogation. Yeah. Um, so yeah, Mateo Conwekar was was um, on on trial. So this was his confession to witchcraft in 1880. Um, so no evidence whatsoever of the cave was ever found. He told them like exactly where it was, and they went, and there's like there's no cave here, and he's like. Whoa. Um, the testimony itself was written by Vicuña well, McKenna. It was hidden by grass. So I, yeah, right. So. Oh, the grass. We forgot that part. Um, so oh, the testimony no. itself was written by Vicuña McKenna, who prior to becoming a historian was a Chilean politician and grandson of an independence war hero. So his approach to historiography was to set forward the social mores of the intellectual landed class and to set a model for how the middle and working classes should behave. And so what I'm saying is the uh, dude may have had an angle. Maybe. So Chilean filmmaker and anthropologist Christopher Murray suggests that that suggests what that angle might be when he says, quote, the modern Chilean state knew that the group was active. The group being La Recta Provincia knew that the group was active and influential in local communities. It provided a kind of magical court, resolving conflicts between neighbors and imposing justice through witchcraft. Despite plenty of testimonies, the state and modern tribunals had no legal weapon to confront the group. In the Penal Code of 1875, the pride of the Republic of Chile, there is no trace of the idea of sorcery. The state finally decided to use the notions of illegal association and poisoning to bring the sorcerers to trial. Using this strategy the modern tribunal confronted the magical tribunal um, and then later says the modern Chilean state in its efforts to take control of the island sought legal pretext to dismantle the group, but it continued to operate as a parallel government as witchcraft was not recognized in the modern legal code. The state accused the sorcerers of illegal association and poisoning of locals. A modern state sanctioned witch hunt began in which more than a hundred people were arrested. Most of them natives. The trial oh, was a huge social and legal spectacle, a unique battle between witchcraft and statecraft. After a year, the trial concluded with minor sentences being handed down to the sorcerers. Um, At- I'm not a fan of the, like, you know, the witch hunt being, you know, accusing people and and doing bad things to them. But it's a really interesting, it's always really interesting to see, like, legal, like, efforts to wrangle the legal language in order to deal with a problem that doesn't have any precedent. They're just like, uh... Uh, well, and in in poisoning? this case, so what I was re- so what I had read um, about this is that it was somewhat intentional because it's because it's not it's because if you if you name it, it's real, and so have I having nothing about like magic or sorcery or any kind of um, supernatural. Or like mm-hmm. having anything yeah. that that exists like exists outside like the concrete. Um, if you if you name it, you're sort of giving it 
agency? Yeah, not even agency. You're just you're you're acknowledging it, and acknowledgement mm, okay. is a slippery slope to respect. Yeah. I guess I don't okay. know. Um, so as for that description of the mbunche that I subjected you to, which is really what Oof. I'll include stuff in the show notes. Um, so I don't, I can't, I don't know Spanish, um, which limited me here because there's a lot of really great stuff in spanish and there's a lot of like great bilingual stuff and there's some stuff that google translate only gets you so far well like google translate and like my knowledge of latin only gets me so far um yeah yeah. but what you when you look up like if you look up the mbunche um it's like it's out there and it's something that like creepy corners of the internet like to like because it's like really it's really messed up where you've got like this thing that's like walking on three legs and it's it's like a it's like it's really like the most like cronenbergy body body horror thing ever um it makes me think of um the pan's labyrinth like some of those yeah like just super guillermo del toro creepy yeah like truly horrifying um yeah material and then there are other examples there was one thing that um like they also will like they they modify the tongue so it looks like a serpent and it says like oh so it can't speak other than guttural whatever's like i read that and i was like actually that's not true because I had a piercer, like a piercing artist who his tongue was split and it was like, it was pretty cool. Um, and he could yeah, you totally, can, you can still, you can talk definitely talk. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, but like you, you had that sort of, but a lot of it comes back to this description, which came from that English guy's book that was published in 1977 in Patagonia, which is chock full of anecdotes that have been contentious to say the least. There's stuff like um, he said that he left a note to his editor that just said, I'm going to Patagonia. And his editor is like, no, no, he didn't. We like talked about it. It's not a like he very much paints himself as this like, sort of like soldier made it of fortune, like, like, but, you know, he's like a when traveler, was, but it's when 1977. Was this, when was he writing? What? In the 70s. Okay. No, I was yeah. just asking when he was writing. Yeah. He just w- went tootling around and wrote a bunch of stuff. And people since have been like, excuse me, no. Um, so his and other sources connected connect the rumored events of 1860 with the ritual and community activities of Machi, which are... Um, shamans among the native Mapuche populations saying uh, because they say that the last human sacrifice they performed was in 1860 which was you know when Kanoikar like had to go take goat and or human meat to these two creatures um not creatures these two people um yeah people yes but like that was the last time they did a human sacrifice because but now they're just healers so that's so that's where they try to like weave this together. Okay. There's a professor of anthropology at the University of Buffalo named Ana Mariela uh, Bacigalupo, whose research focuses on Machi among the Mapuche of southern Chile. And she sums it up very nicely when she says, quote, Mapuche history is punctuated by Spanish colonialism, missionization by Catholic priests, resistance to Chilean national projects of assimilation and development, and the incorporation and resignification of Chilean majority discourses. End quote. Um, in 
so her work is really cool. Like, and I'm going to link to other stuff that she's done. Uh, but she deals a lot with, um, like Machi identity and, Mm -hmm. um, and how it intersects with gender and how it intersects with like resistance and like survival, like cultural survival. Um, and so I'm going to read from, um, another, another article, um, a a 2004 article that, um, I'm going to link to quote, Since colonial times, Chileans have dealt with the Mapuche in any of three primary ways. By folklorizing them, by marginalizing them, and by attempting to assimilate them. These three approaches are mutually contradictory in that marginalizing in its attempt to exclude Mapuche from national society, assimilation is an effort to include them, if only on terms set by the nation state, and folklorizing them encompasses elements of both. Each approach involves its own set of stereotypes of Mapuche, particularly of Machi. The negative images that gave rise to and were created by the marginalization of the Mapuche, that they are barbaric, ignorant, dirty, and so forth, are the same images and that assimilationists aspire to overturn by educating the Mapuche, de-Indianizing them, and converting them to Catholicism. Right, so... so a myth or a, at least a story that involves sort of human mutilation is very much in line with this idea of barbarism. And yeah. 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 It, and it suits that narrative. Yeah. So later um, in this article, in describing ways in which the Mapuche were marginalized and continue to be in pursuit of the imperial project, um, Bachigalupo says, quote, 19th century historians constructed the Mapuche as barbaric, barbaric and excluded them from Chilean history. In order to justify their invasion and expropriation of Mapuche land and the relocation of Mapuche on reservations in the 1800s, Chileans portrayed them as lazy drunkards and savages who obstructed state progress as oh, recently man. does that sound familiar yeah as recently oh. as the end of the 20th century this uh, historian sergio villalobos claimed the mapuche, the mapuche were barbaric and effeminate because they engaged in homosexuality witchcraft revenge practices and polygamy even today national discourses stand mapuche in opposition to chileans of european descent who are associated with the upper classes education masculinity and power Above all, it is machi, including male machi, because they are partially transvestite during rituals, uh, who have become the ultimate symbols of the stigmatized margin of Chilean society. The feminine, the sexually deviant, the traditional, the indigenous, the rural, the poor, the spiritual, and the backward. The Chilean press and church perpetuate an association between passivity, domesticity, reproduction, womanhood, and lack of political power, depicting female machi as fertile Catholic Hmm. earth mothers, mothers who perform private healing rituals. Machi's drumming and singing, their trance states, and their use of herbal remedies and massages are considered backward feminine superstitions inferior to the knowledge of the Chilean intellectual elite. As bastions of the past who heal with the help of herbs and spirits, Machi are often seen as irrational sorcerers, threats to the church and Western medicine, and impediments to the Mapuches becoming modern Chilean citizens. Alternatively, female Machi are sometimes portrayed in the media as archaic women who are disappearing with modernity and pose no threat to the state or to the Catholic morality. Um, And so this, before I go on the next thing, I also want to point out that, so this, um, this witch trial happened in 1880 and the way that, so 
this was um, so Chile got independence in like 1844, I think. I guess it was kind mm -hmm. of contentious. Um, and then there were there was a lot of like issues with um, delineating borders between Chile and other European style states in South America. Okay. So they were they were pretty busy for a while. There was a civil war. Like there there was a lot going on and so then like the Mapuche were not among their top concerns. Right. And then um there like when they wrapped that up and when they sort of <laughs> Just... <laughs> when when like those other like more pressing um external um, and to some degree, internal um, problems were were dealt with. Um, the attention was sent was set towards looking at um, La Recta Provincia as as trying to dismantle it because it was a source of of um, resistance and opposition. And mm -hmm. so the timing also works in terms of being like, okay, well, we got that settled. Now let's let's stamp this out. Um, and so back. On Chile way. Um, and we're going back to uh, Christopher Murray, who we're going to learn more about in a few minutes. Um, he, <laughs> okay. he, he, like, I like, I like what he has to say here. Um, oh, okay. I mean, Sometimes when you adopt not, that chirpy tone, no, 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 it doesn't no. mean. <laughs> no, no. Like the last, the last bit is about like the project informing that okay. article that he wrote. It's really interesting. Um, okay, like, cool. And really like new. It's only... It came out like at the end of last year. So it's like good timing. Um, so he says, the origins of sorcery on Chiloé are described in a mythical story that circulates through the island. According to this, the Spanish geographer Jose de Moraleda arrived one day in Tenoin, 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 a small village. On the, I don't know. <laughs> the small village on the coast of Chiloé. He presented himself as a magician initiated in a european occult tradition and the oh, villagers presented him to the most powerful witch on the island at the time who was known <laughs> as chilpia they challenged each other to a duel to prove who had more power moraleda transformed himself into an animal and chilpia responded by sending the sea back so that all of moraleda's boats <laughs> ran aground the spaniard was so impressed that he gave <laughs> that he Touché, gave her a book of madam <laughs> Gave her a book of magical practices and spells. This mixing of traditional indigenous magic and European occultism was the beginning of a unique and powerful kind of sorcery. Um, and so that narrative is echoed in a stop on a self-guided audio tour of Castro, which is the capital city of Chile. Um, and it's available online. And it's it's this really cool website that does um, like walking tours like audio walking tours that are synced to Google maps. So you can just do it yourself. Oh, and so that's, like you could do street view and you no you No, it's well, I mean you can, but it's, it's meant for you to like, you pay like four bucks oh, for it on your and you okay, have a track okay. and then, um, I see. yeah. And so here's one. So um, it knows where you are and it, and it gives you the, the, the sound clip that corresponds to yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, it's cool. really, really cool. Yeah, and so this one's recorded by a local Chilean guy named Alberto Rodriguez, and I'm gonna I'm gonna read this little piece for you. Just okay. ahead on your left is a dark door with a sign above it that reads La Cueva de Quicave. Stop for a moment in front of it. <laughs> Eccentrics. Now hold on. Yeah. <laughs> and so this this is oh, so nice. Eccentrics among the Spanish and Dutch who arrived, interacted with native medicine men, and this is how witchcraft was carried through the generations on this archipelago in secret. Uh, 
This is the door to a bar that makes reference to a legendary cave in the town of Kikavi, where witches, medicine men, and shamans, known as La Mayoria, practice rituals. During larger gatherings, and as their popularity grew, they held gatherings outside. When the governor found out, he put these spiritual people on trial because the authorities believed that other beliefs could endanger the hard-fought and new Christian ter- territory. Okay, let's keep moving. Just ahead is a small <laughs> road that curves to the right in between the area with the wedding seating area. Turn right to cross the street and walk along this little road towards the bay. So, do, 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 I do, love do, this. Do, 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 do. <laughs> so that's the, that's the, um, the transcript of of the like yeah this this stop and it's just like the cheery matter of fact nature with which rodriguez shares this anecdote and then it's like well let's keep going um (laughs) and but something that every like tourism guide or article or blog post you find about chiloe will say that like something they'll always say is that the locals are quiet about brujeria and not interested in divulging details. And they're intentionally close lipped about that cave and their rituals. Um, well, and I could see I mean, why. Let's take another break. And okay. when we get back, we'll um, we'll ask why folks might not be interested in talking about the Brujos or La Recta Provincia. Let's go. Hey, fans of APN Podcasts, we've got lots of designs over at our Tee Public store. Every purchase helps out the APN with a few cents back to us. Check out the high-quality t-shirts, stickers, phone cases, coffee mugs, and a lot more. There are lots of colors to choose from in most of those items, and Tee Public often runs 30% discounts. So check out the store at arcpodnet.com shop. That's arcpodnet.com shop, and click on the link. We're back. Tell me more. Okay. Remember Christopher Murray, whom I quoted about how the modern Chilean state saw the indigenous structures of power and authority as a threat to control over the Chiloé region? I remember. Okay. Well, that was taken from an article he published in the journal Anthrovision late last year in which he described his... (laughs) <laughs> um, I, all of my my eyes work in anthrovision yeah so um it was a special <laughs> issue on um visual anthropology in latin america um cool. yeah and so in it he described his experience attempting to create a fiction film about the historic oh. 1880 witch trials oh, and so i'm gonna read um i'm gonna i'm gonna read some very cool excerpts from this and then we can rap about it Oh, yeah. Let's wrap. Okay. Great. (laughs) As I've described. Oh, actually, no. I have to tell you other things first. Um, Yeah. So in it. So he was he wrote about how he went to do basically field work. He wrote or no, no, no. It was he was working. He wanted to make a film um, because he's a he's a filmmaker and a visual anthropologist. So he wanted to. you know, he he was interested in learning like more about the story and um, writing a like writing a script that is informed by what like local folks are saying. He wanted to cast um, indigenous actors, possibly even local folks. Like he wanted to to do like he. I think he was trying to go for like a real like Robert Eggers kind of like. Have you seen The Witch? Is the, that the one that's spelled like the Vich? The Vich, yeah. Have you seen the, it? The Vich? No. Oh my God, it's so good. It's one of the best movies. 
It's is one of it my scary? favorite films. Um, it, I don't like scary movies. It is scary because patriarchy is scary. Well, but, I don't like that so, either. Well, okay. So the Vavitch is, um, <laughs> and I put up like two two V signs. So Robert, yeah. <laughs> so Robert Eggers has another movie coming out like next weekend. Um, Great. But, which that's the one with the lighthouse. That's the one with um, Robert Pattinson and Willem Dafoe. And they're like in a lighthouse together. Um, oh, I know the story that that's based on. Yeah. Yeah. That's yeah. terrifying. So what this guy did, well, the... What Robert Eggers did the first time with the Vavitch is he wrote and directed a film that is um, all of the script was informed by diaries and like records from witch trials. And like it is a very like authentic story. It's called a New England folktale, New England fairy tale Mm -hmm. or something. But what it's it's about possibly a witch and right, i got that part. Yeah, yeah yeah and so it's um it is it's it's scary but it's it's a creeping scariness it's not like ah! it's like it's ooh. not jump scares but it yeah. is t- it's, horror it's like existential yeah um so i'd That's, like to think not, that this not for is me what, thanks okay well it's great um and so the next time i yell i be the witch of the wood like you'll know <laughs> You'd get why. Um, I mean, I, you know, honestly, if you had yelled that without that context, I still would have been like, yeah, okay. (laughs) So I'd like to think that Christopher Murray was going for that sort of thing, like making like a very like um, sort of immersive and like embedded story. And so he went and he was you know, talking to people. He wanted to hear people's stories. And it's like, oh, you know, my grandmother like knows this story. And then he'd go and she'd be like, oh yeah, that cave, uh, you can't go to that cave. Like it's caved in. Like, oh, sorry. I don't know where it is. And they're like, well, if you want to do that, you need to talk to the, like the community, like, I don't know, like basically like the community elders. And so he went and he's like, I want to do this and this and this. And they're like, oh, cool story. And then he's like, so I want your approval. And they're like, oh, no, you have to talk to the director provincia about that. And he's like, OK, well, where are they? And they're like, I don't I don't know. I may know a guy who knows a guy, but like nobody was like nobody wanted to like put themselves out there. And he was talking to like actors and stuff and like people that he like there was a. Um, a community leader that he thought he would really like, he wanted to have like be part of it. And he's like, Oh no, I couldn't because like, I don't want to like offend them. Like, I don't, I don't want to no, No, thank you. And then he was filming stuff and like the film was erased and people were like, Oh, guess it was sorcerers. And he kept, getting, yeah. he, he kept like getting the run around and it was just like harder and harder and harder. And he's just like, man, what's the deal? And so in this passage, he may figure out what the deal is. Okay, I'm ready. As I've described throughout my fieldwork, the casting sessions, the stories, the personal encounters, the tricks and attacks of the sorcerers, the landscape of the island always seemed shaped by uncertainty. All these experiences brought into being a world where the boundaries between entities were ambiguous, at least to the outsider. The island's animals, the local people and pathways, La Recta Provincia itself, all appeared impossible to fix, contain, or define with certainty. 
At first, I encountered this uncertainty as something involuntary, but as the discourse of resistance revealed itself, I came to understand it as a performed intentional strategy, a strategy of isolating the other from the means to navigate this world or at least submerging them within the relations of power. Mm. And then at... Was that a moo of assent? No, sorry. Um, it, was, it, it did come out as a moo, but I meant yeah. it as like a, an awe of dawning yeah. understanding. Yeah. And so um, towards <laughs> the end of his essay. That turned into a cow. He says, in conclusion, I argue that sorcery in this context is a practice based on producing uncertainty as a means of resistance to constant threats from external forces. It is clear that the discourse of sorcery has changed since the times of the trial of La Recta Provincia in the 19th century. Then sorcery was all about dealing with conflicts in communities, providing justice and health through magic. In other words, providing certainty in moments of uncertainty. But now the provision of justice and health is in the hands of modern institutions. After the trial, La Recta Provincia withdrew into secret, uncertain spaces. Since then, Forchilotes, although the organization still exists and acts, the sorcerers are no longer a motor of certainty. Rather, they are an uncertain occult organization. But the sorcerers have no monopoly on witchcraft and magical practices. Neither are such practices distributed by a central entity like the state. Rather, they are in constant movement. They circulate around the island's pathways and geographical landscape, the relationships between neighbors, the local animals, the fog, Koki's touristic walks, the caves, the people's humor and stories. They circulate without a concrete body or a responsible party. The practices of magic thus shape and reaffirm the ambiguous identity of the island of Chiloé. The core that of my method incredibly astute, right? The core yes. of my methodology throughout the project was the creative collaborative process of developing a fiction film as a device to promote ethnographic encounters on the island. I was not just collecting stories in the abstract, but collecting for a script. I was meeting people not just to talk, but to invite them to casting sessions. I was not capturing images and sounds only for data analysis, but to work out how to capture visually and sonically the uncertain landscape of the island in my hypothetical film. Controversially, I was trying to make visible what was maintained often intentionally as invisible, and to make audible what was often maintained as silent. Their refusal to be recorded made it clear that capturing people in images and sounds seemed a violent practice to some, an attempt to make concrete and certain something that operates intentionally in a less tangible dimension. Whoa. Right? Whoa. And Very so. Cool. Okay, so. So, like, after last year's like with Clad Holland, where it's something that I listened to and was like, what? No way. And then looked it up and was like, oh, yes way. And there turned out to be this sort of frightening and very real story behind it this year. And weirdly, like consistent practice across across the whole of the, the British yeah. Isles. Like, yeah. What are wild. you guys doing? Like totally wild, like totally wild yeah. stuff. Um, on the other hand, this year, something that I was like, what? No way. And then I looked into Turns it. Turns out, was yeah, like, no way. Oh, ab but, absolutely but. no way. But it's something that I had known about and had heard about, but I had no idea about any of this other stuff. I don't know anything about Chile. Like, I... No. But... Isn't that something? But 
That was okay. So I think that this is a more a more um, pervasive thing than just in Chile. Like I think that clinging to or using the occult as kind of a, a practice of obfuscating or sort of destabilizing a a colonizing power or even just not even colonizing but even just the power of whoever's in control i think that that has existed for a very very long time yeah and also like sort of the wink and nod like yeah like so i really i recommend that everybody read this um this article it's called um the cinematic spell in an island of uncertainty Ooh, um, great title. yeah it's really and it's really good like it's a it's um so it's also well, the, in a, the parts a, that you read were, were great i love yeah that. yeah so it's really like it's it's really fascinating it's really interesting and it's, it's insightful yeah and i think it's a really good example of somebody who's like i'm like i'm informed i'm educated i'm woke i'm gonna go do this and then he gets Whoa. there and he's Whoa. like nobody Uh-oh. wants this okay and like, <laughs> like moon walks out of there and writes a very insightful article about his experience and why perhaps he it was a bad call on his part Um, right if only more anthropologists were like that yeah and so i i like to think that this story is is indeed chilling because it's it's really just like it's horrifying the story itself is horrifying yeah and i hated that yeah so it's like a this little snippet of just like oh the locals they tell this story and then you're like no like actually like (laughs) it was like a direct consequence of somebody speaking most likely under duress like in a like politically motivated yeah um like clamp down on like probably indigenous clamps like organizing or just like structure like organization and then perpetuated by like well everyone everyone, really yeah everyone and then how like things have changed in the past 150 years but sort of the the point of conflict is still there between sort of the the state or like the state being either like chilean like majority society or the state or being the colonizer like, yeah the, well like like the catholic church and sort of the impact oh, that, yeah, of yeah, yeah. catholicism the story itself is the monster that's yeah the so, i feel like that's really like it's like when we did the the wendigo and it turned out that <laughs> the actual wendigo was like european the, the least monstrous thing of the whole story. yeah <laughs> yeah it turns out oh, that that's true despite the horror of this story uh politics is worse yeah cool and, yeah <laughs> well you done spooked me wasn't that a fun twist though wasn't that a great twist it was a good twist see i would that not really cool i would not have included like any of that like body horror stuff if it were actually like grounded in reality oh no and yeah I, that's why because I wasn't looking at the rest of the script and so we were going and I was just like oh my god <laughs> yeah no as it turns out it's okay yeah okay right but boy people's minds are sure capable of coming up with some stuff yeah uh well cool thanks bud 
That Thank was a you. cool story. Yeah. Yeah. And definitely um, there's so much more stuff. And so our listeners who um, can read Spanish, um, there's even you more stuff. Tell us, tell, us, tell us what that stuff is. <laughs> well, and there's so there's um, I found some some stuff that um, like from the abstracts and things I could read um, uh-huh. like because they were in English. Um, there's some stuff that looks at La Recta Provincia as um, like as an institution and like looks at it in terms of like like the like ideas of performativity and reciprocity. And so like there's been research done on sort of intra-group dynamics, um, mm-hmm. which I don't know, maybe it would have been relevant to this story, but I kind of... But uh, I don't know. But I'll include it in the show notes for those who um, for sure can read it. But yeah, this was fun. Yeah. Thank you. And thank you, listeners, for uh, soldiering through that with me. <laughs> um, we will be back next week with even more Spooktober. Mm-hmm. And uh, and until then, uh, you can find us on Facebook at The Dirt Podcast, on Twitter, we are at Dirt Podcast, and on Instagram, where we will be posting spooky images. And actually, on Facebook, I just posted that uh, things that sound like Chewbacca video that I <laughs> teased in the in the last episode. Uh, and on Instagram, we are at the dirt pod. So find us there. Yeah. Um, and you can find all of that on our website at thedirtpod.com. Mm-hmm. And if you want to tell us a spooky story, you can do that at the dirt podcast at gmail.com. Yeah. Thanks, everybody. Happy Spooktober. Goodbye. Farewell. This show is produced by the Archaeology Podcast Network, Chris Webster and Tristan Boyle in Reno, Nevada at the Reno Collective. This has been a presentation of the Archaeology Podcast Network. Visit us on the web for show notes and other podcasts at www.archpodnet.com. Contact us at chris at archaeologypodcastnetwork.com. Thanks for listening to this podcast. Please consider leaving a review on your favorite podcasting app. You could also consider becoming a member so we can keep content like this free and available to all. Check out pricing and info at archpodnet.com slash members. Thanks again and have a great day.